0: Personally, tell you happy Father's Day this morning to you, fathers. Happy Father's Day! Um, what a great day to be in in church, Amen. And um, Pastor John uh, wanted you to know that uh, he didn't. He's not preaching this morning because he wanted to be a good father, leading into Father's Day, and be attentive with his children and his wife on vacation. So, uh, Pastor John, thank you for this privilege that I get to to do this this morning. Um, Well, interestingly enough, a couple couple months back, just in my prayer and and quiet time with the Lord, God gave me a Father's Day sermon, and I was like, man, this is interesting. So I just kind of wrote it down and tucked it away, like, I don't know when I'll use this, but—and then Pastor John comes, and I didn't mention anything to Pastor John. He goes, hey, you want to preach Father's Day? And I was like, oh, man, God is so good, isn't he? That he would, in advance, like, begin to put these things in my heart— so that today a word might be spoken to our hearts to encourage us. Amen? Amen. And so thank you for preaching my sermon already this morning, Pastor John. So um, since I have the next 30 minutes or an hour, um, I've already planned, so we're going to do it. You'll get it twice today, right? Maybe whatever you missed in that first bit you'll get now. Um, But, you know, I I do want to just say that this summer— you know, take a priority this summer to be in community with other people. Um, this doesn't have anything in my sermon. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to encourage you that through this summer, as, as we roll back kind of in our, in our church a little bit, we let our workers take the summer off and rest. Um, we kind of scale back a little bit. This is a good breathing point for our church because we want to hit the fall running. And we want to be able to just invest and go deep In our Sunday schools, we want to invest and go deep. In our children's ministries, we want to invest and go deep. But during this time, take the opportunity to be in community together. Um, If you don't know what that looks like, we've had several women that have just started their own little Bible studies. They've either taken the previous studies and gone through them, back through them with some women in their homes or in a, a place. There's plenty of opportunity. Our men just recently did a dinners together. I don't know if hopefully you got that. If you're not on that list, see Jake. He will get you on that list. Um, You know, in in this, we've had our church picnics where we've invited people to come together. Um, We've been gathering young adults at our house this summer as well, Um, our 20-somethings, pulling them together, people who are out of high school, kind of trying to figure out and navigate life. If this summer, take that privilege in that moment, will you? Um, And this morning, we've we've mentioned several things about the donuts. Uh, Make sure you get one on the way out. Make sure your kids get one on the way out if if you haven't. There's a lot of talk about food this morning, right? I know I'm going to talk about food this morning. I'm sorry. I love food. Um, It doesn't look like it. I know. Um, I I try hard to to make to make that happen, but my wife made me a pecan pie, and so I'm excited to get to that. So um, we're going to talk about food because I'm thinking about it already this morning. Um, I learned from my father-in-law: if you sneak into it the night before, there's a lot of grace. You know, food can be a great point of ministry. Just a side note. You know why? Because people like good food, right? Are you hungry yet? So you should have got a donut this morning. The donuts were here, there's a reason. You know, everyone loves to eat, everyone has to eat. You know, there's a, the food is natural. It's a natural form of hospitality. It, it, it breaks down walls and barriers. It builds bridges, right? When you're, when you're the person who takes the, the plate of cookies to the person who moves it in the neighborhood, right? Like food becomes this natural thing that pulls us together. So I encourage you, fire up the grill, man. You like the grill, right? Invite somebody over. Have someone around your table. You know, this is the one thing we all have in common. It's a table. Now, your table may be crowded right now. Go home and clean it off, right? <laughs> But you know, a lot of times when we, t- when we begin to talk about concepts and things, we use language and maybe we don't always communicate what we're wanting to communicate, right? That ever happened to you? Um, not too long ago, me and my wife packed up everything we had and we moved out to Oregon. I know a lot of people like, you moved to Oregon, really? Yeah, we were to be a part of a church plant. And I thought, man, where could we go to be a part of a church plant? Let's go to somewhere really liberal and really needing Jesus. And so we packed up, sold everything, and we went out to Oregon. And, um, you know, we move, we get to town. It was a pretty incredible story. We, we did not know where we would sleep when we got there. Um, it wasn't for the lack of planning. It was, we knew that we were supposed to step out in faith and trust the Lord. And so we get to town and and we don't really know anybody there. So we start making friends. And I remember this guy had kind of been connected with, he's like, he calls me and says, Hey man, um, we're having a barbecue at my house. You want to come? I don't know if you think like me, a Southern boy, Barbecue, that's my love language, right? I love me some barbecue. I mean, you put it on the smoker, slow-cooked meat. Man, that is... <sighs> mm. Sorry, I had to take a moment for that. Slow-cooked meat is just something about it. And so this guy's like, hey, you want to come up for a barbecue? And I'm like, man, oh, I, yes, yes, you, you, you got me at barbecue, right? And so I was like, man, what do I need to bring? Like, do we, we do sides? Like, what is it? He goes, oh, it's just hamburgers and hot dogs. I'm like, What? <laughs> I'm like, you guys don't know what barbecue is, do you? He's like, what do you mean? It's like hamburgers and hot dogs. I said, no, 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 no. You got to have a Boston butt. You want a barbecue, right? We got to have some ribs that have been cooking all night. Like we started on them two days ago, right? You with me? Are you hungry yet? Man, I hope you got a donut because, man, I'm hungry. We're going to have to hurry up, ain't we, Pastor John? Man. but you know, some things just don't convey when you tell them. You just always don't get the language apart, and so here Jesus in John five nineteen he gives us this story talking about his father, and if you will look with me, five nineteen, and says, and Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing, and whatever for whatever he's, whatever the father does, that the son does likewise, and so Jesus begins to tell us about his father. And the illustration is his own life. His life is an illustration. It's a picture. It's a window for us to see the father and know the father. Well, later on in the book of Luke, and we'll get to this, is a story we see of Jesus talking about the father, the parable of the father. Many people know it as the parable of the prodigal son. The problem is, is there's two rebellious sons in the story, and the story is more about the father. So I'm going to call it the parable of the father. Are you with me? And so in this Jesus is giving us a picture, a window into what fatherhood looks like. And I love it that Pastor John said this morning that we cannot be a father until we know what it's like to be a son. Because you can grow up and you can be a man. Yeah, you can be a man. But until you've walked in the shoes of being a son, until you've watched your father, you don't know what it is. But the problem is sometimes people grow up without fathers, don't they? You know, I'm happy to say that I love my dad. I had the privilege of growing up with a great dad. A dad who invested in me, a dad who gave to me, a dad I'm very proud of. And I don't say that to brag because I know some of you didn't grow up with a dad. But I say that to say this my dad was an orphan at the age of seven. He lost both his dad and his mom in the same year. So a man who grew up without the example of a father knew how to be a good father. How does that happen? How does he know how to be a son? Well, the Bible lays it out for us, doesn't it? And so when we open up the picture of this word, when we open up our Bible, we begin to see that. You know, every biblical, nation, every biblical notion of what it means to live and how to live a godly life is under attack in America right now, isn't it? In every way we see. I mean, we've got boys competing in girls sports have got girls competing in boys' sports. I, I don't know. I, I'm a proponent of let the boys play, play boys' sports, let the girl play girls' sports. You know, um, th- there's nothing that excites me about a guy ice skating, I'm just going to say. There's some hockey fans in here like, whoa, watch out, right? I, you know, the only thing that's fun about hockey is the fights, right? That's the only piece anybody watches hockey. <laughs> like you're ready for a fight to break out. Remember when the Macon whoopies used to be in town? Anybody remember that? I would go to hockey games all the time. My favorite one, we were there, we got like, we were a minute late and walk onto the floor and they were already fighting. I'm like, man, this is going to be a good game. I mean, that's the reason why I said it. But every notion of what's biblical in our world is being under attack. The world, our culture is attempting and they're working to cut the head off of the family. And the head of the family is the father. And men, we, it's on our shoulders to be men, to stand strong, not only in our own homes, but in our culture, and in our world, and in our cities, and in the people and place we see in our workplaces, to be strong men. And so I know anything I say this morning, you're already going to know. And so there won't be anything new that I say that you don't already know. But this morning, I hope to encourage you. I hope to challenge your heart a little bit, because... If you're listening to this world, they're spewing lies at you every day. They're telling you to give up. They're telling you to quit. And today I want to tell you to keep pressing on, Father, because it's good, it's working. Keep pressing on, Father, because your children are watching. Press on, Father, because it's the right thing to do. Press on because the Spirit of the Lord is with you and he's leading you. Amen. So I'm going to pray as we get into this morning. I've got seven characteristics. I'm going to go through them really fast, so we won't be able to go really deep into them. But I want to just remind you and give you some tools to hang on to today as we look at Father's Day. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. You are our good Father. God, thank you that you can, to the fatherless, you become their father, to show them how to be sons so that they can be fathers. And God, for those of us that have great fathers, thank you, Lord. What a privilege. And God, what a challenge, Lord, to walk in big shoes. God, I pray today as, as I speak and as I talk that you would anoint my lips. God, that you would give me a voice to speak. God, that you would give me words, Lord. Give me clarity and unction, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So several months back, I was you, when God began to lay this on my heart today about speaking the Father's Day, it started with just the basic thought. And then he began to unpack this parable of the father to me is that when I look at you, you are mine. This phrase began to just stir in me. When I look at you, you are mine. And as I read through the story of the prodigal son, that's what I saw. And it was like the father, when he saw his son in the distance, he didn't go, ah, man, that knucklehead's back. He didn't go, man, what a total mess up. Was he here trying to mess it up again? No, he looks at his son and he says, you're mine. And he runs to his son. And if I can share anything with you this morning, can I say this to you, sir? Can I say this to you, father? Can I say this to you, man? That when he looks at you, you're his. That means you have worth. That means you have value. That means that when he looks at you, that his heart does something. And I could say that because you're, you're a father yourself and you know that when you look at your kids and you just, how many of you just look at your kids and smile? your kid do something goofy and you'll just look and smile or your kid will do something sweet and you'll just smile or your kid hits that home run and you're like that's my boy right why can't our heavenly father be that same way why can't he look at us with excitement why can't he look at us with, with glee and with joy and even when we have run off and been rebellious and been stupid look at us and go ha, that's my boy. He's come home come on come on yeah you come home I know we'll get it straightened out it's okay Right? But if you're like me, maybe you read the story and you get upset with the father. I don't know. I did that. I, like, want my heart wants to be mad because he's generous. My heart wants to be mad because he's gleeful. You know, my initial thought is, no, the boy did it. He, he made his own bed. He needs to lay in it. Right? <laughs> How many of us have that thought? Right? But this is not the picture we see that happens in our father. And so today I want to talk about seven characteristics of a man, but I want us to look at them in the light of being a son. Because the first thing we see in this story, as you know this story, that there's a father, and it starts off talking about the father. He has two sons. And one of his sons, the youngest son, comes to him and says, hey, dad, I- I'm ready to step out on my own, so give me everything that's mine, and I'm going to do it my way. And so he says, Divides up everything in half and gives it to his two sons, and the one goes off to a foreign country. The Bible tells that he he just he squanders it; it's all gone. And he finds himself in the middle of a famine, hungry and without. And so he says he gives himself over to a a, a man of the, of the of that country who puts him to work feeding pigs. And as he's out there feeding pigs, the Bible says he comes to himself and he remembers about his father, and he goes, man. Here I am starving, and the servants in my father's house have more than enough. So why don't I go serve my father? At least I know my father's heart, and it's good toward his servants. It's good, so let me go back to my father. At least I'll I'll be able to eat there. And so it says that he he headed back toward his father's house, and it said when he was still at a distance, his father saw him and ran out and greeted him. And the Bible says he embraced him, and he kissed him, and he said, my son is home. And he said, go get the, 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 go get the robe and put it on, go get the ring and put it on his hand. Let's kill the fatted calf, and let's celebrate and have a party. Our, my son is home. And they're in the house, and they're celebrating, they're having a good time, and the older brother's outside, and he's like, what's all the noise about? And the servant says, well, your brother's home, and they're, they're celebrating. And so he gets indicted in his heart, and he gets upset that his dad would be generous, and it, to his son. And his father comes out and in, gentle, in a gentle, meek spirit in a loving, kind way looks at his son with kindness and says, why are you upset that we're celebrating your brother? He's home. He's not dead. We thought he was dead, he was, but he's home. And so we begin to see this picture and I want us to look at the two sons and see their story and understand and unpack our father, right? The first thing I want us to see is that sons are fed. Now, again, nothing new. Men are providers, right? To be a man means that we provide. It means we work, right? We work. We work hard. Like, if you don't have a strong work ethic, I'm sorry. I I got nothing for you, right? I got no grace for you. In fact, when I'm counseling young guys, I always tell them, you need two jobs. What do you mean? You need to have two jobs. Why? Because you need to be out there working. You need to be going. You need to be putting your hands to the plow. You need to be tearing up the field. You got a lot of energy now. Now's the time to be out doing it. Do it. Go do it. Well, I worked my way through college, worked full-time, went to school full-time, and I went and served at a local church. Yeah, I, I believe that we should have a strong work ethic, but I don't just believe that because my dad told me that or showed me that. I believe that because I find it in the Word. In fact, when Jesus in Mark chapter five, I mean John chapter 5, when he's still talking, he says that um, he heals the blind man at the pool of Bethesda, right? And the Pharisees come up to him and say, well, why did you heal him on the Sabbath? Like, we don't work on the Sabbath. You know what Jesus' response was? My father works on the Sabbath. In fact, he doesn't stop working. And I'm going to do what my father does. Right? Men, we're men. We have strong work ethics. Right? We put the hands to the plow and we go and we provide for our families. You know, the Bible says that when he came to himself, what did he realize? He realized his dad was a good provider. In fact, he was so good at providing, his servants had plenty. That's how good his father was at providing. And I know this means work. But guys, that's what we're built for. That's what your heart cries out for. You know, and it's not just that we provide physically, but there's a balance to this, and there's a place where we, we walk in where we're providing both physically and spiritually. Right? That we do both. And we do both well. And for a lot of guys, I know it's easy. You can do the physical. You can provide physically well for your kids, but sometimes the spiritual is a little harder. And then maybe you're on the other side where the spiritual is a lot more easier, but the physical is a little harder. It's work. That's why they call it work. It's work. And that means sometimes you set aside your own agendas, your own goals, your own things to sit down. Yesterday, I remember setting aside my own desires, my own wants, to sit down and read the Bible with my daughter. You know why? Because I don't want to just provide physically for her. I want to provide spiritually for her. And we sit down and we read and we read, and I read to her, and then I talk about what we just read. You know, um, I'm probably going to talk a good about a good bit about my dad today. I don't know if he's watching online. I left my phone over there, so if he texts me, I won't know. <laughs> um, I... Again, I I do love my dad. And if you're here, you're a dad, man, I'm so glad that you get that privilege. I can't say how excited I am when I think of that for you. I don't know of a higher calling a higher privilege in life to be a dad. I love it. I I love it so much. It's been one of the highlights of my life. And I remember growing up, my dad was a great provider for us. We didn't have a whole lot. I I didn't realize we didn't have a whole lot because we had everything we need. I just didn't realize that everything he made was spent on us eating. You raised three boys? (laughs) There you have it, right? Um, I really did not realize how much I ate until I moved off and went to college and went to the grocery store the first time. And I'm like, man, that was $200 worth of groceries. It only lasted a week. How is that? (laughs) Like, really? But we provide as men. We provide most physically and spiritually, and growing up, my dad was involved in our church, and my dad made sure we were the church, and we were never late to church. We weren't late on a Sunday. We weren't late on a Wednesday. In fact, we didn't even stop to get gas to make sure we, we didn't get late. I remember one, thing, one time, um, there was one time we were late to church. but It was my fault, and we, maybe we'll get into that story later, but um, <laughs> I remember one time we ran out of gas on the way from church, but not to church, like, we were never late to church. In fact, my dad would make it he was. It was an effort, and he made the time, and he, he would rearrange his schedule so that we, he would be home on Wednesdays so that we could be at church on Wednesdays. Now, my dad would say he's not the biggest theologian. He didn't study Bible. He didn't have anybody teach him the Bible. But he was involved in Royal Rangers, and Royal Rangers was a way he could spiritually invest in my life and physically invest in my life. And so he made sure we were there. But not only that, my dad was highly involved. He was involved in what I was doing in that, what my brothers were doing in that. In fact, my dad, um, every year, had three Roll Ranger winners in his house. We would go to different levels of competition, and we would win those competitions. Well, they, they saw us coming. My, my dad would make workbooks for the awards. Right? They didn't have workbooks back then. They just had one book and it said, you need to do these things. And so my dad would sit down in a computer And he would put out, he would get on there and he would make a workbook for us so that we could work through it. And he would make sure, and all these things, and when we were memorizing scripture, he would make sure we were memorizing the scripture. And all these things, he was over and over working and right there beside us. I learned how to build a fire, I learned how to tie knots, I learned how to survive in the wilderness. I learned all these things from my dad. In fact, it was funny, I remember in college we went on a, a trip with some college friends, um, those are always good stories, aren't they? So, um, I had some buddies, and like, hey, let's go on a camping trip. I'm like, great, I know how to camp. That's one thing I can do well. And so, um, all right, we're going to go hiking out in North Carolina, the Standing Indian. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a really high place, beautiful overlook over to this valley. And so, we get out there, and there's six inches of snow on the ground. I'm like, I'm game for this. This is good, right? And so, you know, some of the guys say, like, hey, we're going to bring this, we're going to do that. And so we get there, and a guy who's kind of leading us takes us the wrong way on the trail. And so we're like hiking half half today, and um, we don't see anybody. And finally we run into somebody on the trail who's just as crazy as we were. And we're like, hey, how much further is it? He's like, guys, y'all are walking in the wrong direction. And so we're like, man, come on. So we all go back. We get back to where we came in and parked, and they're all hungry and ready to eat. And so they're like, well, let's just sit down and make up camp here. And I'm thinking, guys, we came to go to the top of this mountain, not to camp out in the valley. Like, no, we got to go to the top. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to stand on here. I said, all right, I'm going by myself. So I head up the top of this mountain, I'm just, and I had, um, it was one night, so I wasn't planning on cooking a meal and everything, so I just brought a sandwich, right? So here I am sitting on the top of this mountain eating my sandwich, just beautiful sunset, just sitting there watching. Oh, man, just taking it all in. And I have a memory. I have a reminder that pops in my head. You ever have those? It was like, you don't have a flashlight. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't have a flashlight. This will be fun. And so I remember running back down the trail. I remember the sun going down and getting dark. There's no moon. <laughs> but yet I somehow make it back to our campsite. And I get back to the campsite, and these yahoos hadn't started the fire yet. They had used up a whole gallon of lighter fluid and still had no fire. And I remember right before I left, I was like, hey, can I help you build a fire? And they're like, no, we got it. We know what we're doing. So I come back, and I'm like, really, guys, you haven't started a fire? So I I go, and a few minutes later, I got a fire going. Right? These are things that that my dad had instilled in me. And because he instilled in me, when I'm out here on my own, I can be a leader now. And I can actually start to provide for other guys who don't have a clue what's going on. In fact, it was so crazy. These guys were so clueless. One of the guys didn't even bring a sleeping bag. (laughs) They had a three-man tent for five guys. I'm like, y'all look crazy. I remember spending the night in a log. (laughs) Like, I ain't scared. We'll do it. But see, because my dad had instilled these things, he had worked to me because he had... It taught me how to provide both physically and spiritually. When here I am in a situation, I know what to do. I don't freak out. There's no getting concerned, right? Well, he's prepared me for this moment. The second thing is their sons are clothed. You know, in this I see that men are generous with the spools of their conquest. Real men are generous with the spoils of their conquest. You see, when the son shows up, he takes his best robe and covers him in it. He gives him a ring, right? He doesn't hide these things from him. You see, because the real man understands that God gives the victory and that he hands out the spoils. Paul would lay this out for us in the book of Ephesians, that that he went, he took captive the captive, and he hands out the gifts. He hands out, because we understand, we see our father is generous, you know, and there's no greater picture of this than we see than Jesus on the cross. That we would see the extravagant love of God. We would see the extravagant provision of God. We would see the extravagance of God on the cross. You see, a closer also, a covering. To men, we are ordained by God to be the covering of our homes. Now, one thing that's weird to me is I don't know why there's so misunderstanding of what this means in the church. So I'm going to give you a quick overview and then we're going to go on. Men, what that means is that you're responsible. You're the head of your household. Now, it thinks that you have to qualify that that doesn't mean you just boss everybody around and you're an overlord. But what that means is that it's on your shoulders. Carry the load. You were built for it we were built for it. Let's carry the load. I remember um, when I was a young, when I was 16 years old. Now no, like 16 year olds now, they don't, they don't want to get out of the house, right? I think the new age is what, 32? They move out? I could just hear my dad on that one, right? 32. Hey dad, um, yeah, did you pick up the groceries today? <laughs> Uh, no, there'd be a shoe for me, right? Get out. So I'm 16 years old, and i am going to my dad. I'm like, Dad, I'm ready to move out. He's like, great, go. I was like, that was not what I was expecting here, but okay, it's cool. Yeah, my dad's with me. It's cool. I'm going to get my car. I'm going to pack my things. go." He goes, you got a budget worked out? I'm like, What's the budget? I don't know what the budget is. He goes, Well, how are you going to pay for everything? I mean, I'm ready for you to go. We've been trying to get you ready for this. So he sits down and he goes, uh, what's your rent? What's rent? Oh, well, you got to pay a water bill, a light bill, all these bills. I'm like, why are there so many bills? <laughs> he goes, you know how much you eat? I was like, oh, yeah, probably like $100 would be easy. He goes, <laughs> he goes, you can't even afford to feed yourself. How are you going to provide a house for yourself? And so about halfway through the budget, I was like, all right, Dad, we're good. I'm going back to my room. <laughs> right? You know, the role of a father is a huge thing, but it's a cool thing. You see, sons have an inheritance. The Bible says that he divided his wealth and he handed it out to his sons. See, see, men provide for the future. And it begs to ask, what are you storing up for your children? What have you stored up for your children? You know, to grow a garden, you have to have seed. To grow a garden, you have to have seed. You see, what fathers do is they give the seed to their sons so their sons can go plant a garden. What have you stored up for your kids? It's been interesting in in the last few years watching my dad, every time he comes to visit me, he brings me a new one of his tools. And every time he does it, I just smile because I see my dad passing along seeds. These are the things that I've used to build a life. And he starts handing these off to me. It was funny, when I was up in college, I remember um, this was pre-cell phones. Makes me old, doesn't it? Some of you don't even know what it's like to not live without a cell phone. (laughs) When I was up in college, my dad just shows up at my house. I was like, oh, hey, dad, how's it going? Good to see you. He's like, "Hey man, you got anything to eat?" I'm like, "Well, no, not really." He goes, "I mean, like anything to eat?" I was like, "No, no, Dad, I really don't." He's like, "All right, we're gonna take you grocery shopping." Man, I remember that day? It was a big moment because here, my dad is is investing in me. He wants me to stay in school. His school. He's also instilled in me that I work hard. I remember another time that I got a big bill. I, I didn't know how to pay. My card broke down. I didn't know how I was going to fix it and pay for it. And I remember going to the mailbox, and I opened the mail, and here's a letter from my dad. I opened it up, and he goes, Just sitting in another airport, thinking about you. I know I don't get to do much for you, but here's something it was exactly what I needed. Exactly what I needed to fix my car. Some of you dads just think you're barely getting it done. Can I challenge you that you're not? That in sometimes, in in little ways, you're making a difference in your kid's life. In little ways that you don't even know are becoming monuments for your children. You see, men provide an inheritance. They provide a future for their kids sons are taught men bring their children into maturity there comes a time when you let them grow up right you let them grow up remember I was a kid I went to my dad was like dad I can swim he's like yeah really picks me up throws me in the deep end right (laughs) now I don't know if my dad had been watching me to knew if I could really swim or if he was like I'll just rescue him if he drowned I don't know what my dad was thinking But I remember him throwing me in the deep end. And there I'm like, (laughs) oh. Yeah. I'm going to throw you. You you can swim. Okay, go, go do it. But he was right there the whole time. You know why you do that, fathers? I know we live in an age where they tell tell us that we have to do it for our kids. I mean, they're 32 sitting in our basement, right? We're still doing it for them. You know, that's the world we live in. That's not the picture that God has for us. The son came to his father and said, I'm ready to have my stuff and move out. He goes, Okay. Let's see how that works out for you, buddy. I'm I'm here for you when you get ready to come home. You know why we do that? Not too long ago I went on a backpacking trip with my dad. He's getting a little older. I didn't know if it would be our last opportunity to do it. It was cool, got my brothers together. We go on this backpacking trip. I don't know if you've ever been to Chiaha National Park in Outland, Alabama. There's a thing they call the Devil's Staircase. It's named properly. <laughs> and so we get on this trail, and I'm like, oh, it's the sh- looking at the map, right? I'm like, oh, it's a short trail. It'll be easy. We'll just get on this short trail, and we'll go up. But the thing I didn't know is that every step on that trail was a step in elevation. <laughs> and as we get a little bit into this trail, I see my dad just— under the weight of his backpack is just, it's really getting him. And so I look at my dad and say, hey dad, let me carry your backpack. And I remember carrying my backpack and my dad's backpack up this mountain. You see men, this is why we teach our kids how to grow up. Why? Because one day they're going to carry your backpack. And I, what kind of man do you want carrying your backpack? Right? Right? They're going to carry your backpack. Sons are taught. They're brought into maturity. You know, my father was a teacher. That was one thing I loved about my dad. He was a teacher. Anything that he was doing around the house, he was working on he'd bring me along. If the light switch needed replaced, hey, Wade, come help me. If this needed done, hey, Wade, come help me. Come, Come, come do this with me. I remember my dad would take me on the road during the summers to his job. I would watch him work ride along the roads with him. We'd talk. We'd always stop and fish on the way home. It was really cool. So I kept going back with him. He'd stop and fish. Loved it. And um, I remember that one day under the house, we had a cross space. Anybody have a cross space in your house? We had a cross space and the pipes broke on the kitchen sink. So he was like, hey, Wade, I need your help. Comes. At the moment, I didn't know my dad was like very much afraid of tight spaces. <laughs> and so... <laughs> The good news about him teaching me how to do all these things—he's—he's he's able to send me under the house, and at the edge of the—the the opening of the crossbase, tell me what to do. <laughs> Man, there's a benefit to this. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's—it's it's a, it's a funny story, but there, there's a, there's a way where you start pushing them out the nest, right? Man, sons are taught. The fifth thing I want you to see about sons, sons are brought near. Men embrace their children. Now, I I know that we've kind of made some turns in the last few years where that's become more popular. Hopefully that remains something popular. Now, I'm not talking about, it's crazy we have to qualify this thing. You know I'm talking about healthy embracing, right? We don't have to explain this. (laughs) You know, physical touch is very important for the development of, of, of people. It's very important for how we develop. You know, in this story, that the father, when he sees his son coming, he runs out and embraces him. Not only did he welcome his son into his house, and did he welcome his son to his table, he welcomed his son into his heart again. He embraced him and drew him near. He brought him near to himself. Sir, I, I would ask you this. Do your children see you kiss your wife? Do your kids get to see you flirt with your wife? If not, would you do that for your kids? Would you show them what healthy marriage looks like? Would you show them what a real man looks like, how he treats his wife, how he treats his mom? Lance is over there giggling. Ah) <laughs> uh. Channing's like, move on, move on, next point, next point. <laughs> There's nothing more embarrassing as a kid to see your parents like make out, right? <laughs> move on, Pastor Child's like, really? Listen to Channing, he's smart, right? Move on, move on. <laughs> Kids need to know what a healthy relationship is because this world is not going to teach them that. This, this world is going to teach them everything ungodly, everything unholy about what relationships are. Men, this is part of us leading our home, is that we show them what a healthy relationship looks like. A healthy relationship to them. a healthy relationship to your wife. A healthy relationship to your mother. A healthy relationship to your father. And if your family is broken, it's on you to fix it. Well, they don't want to get on and do with me. You lead. It. You be the one that extends kindness. You're the one that opens the door. You're the one that bears the blunt of that. Because that's what we do, man. We're warriors, aren't we? Sixth thing sons are risky. This is probably my favorite one, right? <laughs> I think it's a great thing about being a son, right? You get to take the risk. You know, a man absorbs the debts of his children, the debt. The debts. You see, when the son came back, the father said, "No, let's put a robe on this young man. Let's put a ring on his finger. Go f- kill the fatted calf. Why? We're going to celebrate, right? I know he squandered everything. He's got nothing, but he's still going to eat. We're going to take care of him. Why? See, young men can take risk. I was a young man. I remember my mom brought home this this outdoor game. Now we grew up in a small home. Uh, maybe some of you did. It wasn't really the when I was growing up, we didn't have these big homes. It's kind of a more of a modern thing to have a big house where kids have their own room, they, have their own, they, have, they own the basement, right? They have a little game rooms set up for kids. Like, man, that would, that would be awesome. No, we played outside, right? <laughs> Your mom, my mom was like, get out. Three boys, get outside. You done broke the lamps and the table, get outside. Take that, play outside, right? So she bought us this yard game. It was called Lawn Darts. Anybody remember that? Oh, yeah. I was like, how do you play this game? Oh, I know how you play this game. So I get my friends over, right? Hey, I got a new game. We're going to play this. All right, so we had this hula hoop, and you set this hula hoop down. I say, stand in the hula hoop. So I come over here and put this hula hoop. I'd stand in this hula hoop. And then, so the game is, you throw the darts. If you move out of the hula hoop, then they get a point. If you move out of the hula hoop and it lands in the hoop, they get three points. If you stay in the hula hoop, it nullifies their points. Right? It was a great game. We never made it through a full game. I understand that. I was like, yeah, come on. And so I, it would be the first time I read, I'd let them go first. They'd throw it. I'd stand there. It'd usually, like, land somewhere out there. I'd be like, i take it. i throw it up as high as I could. They'd get it real high, and as soon as it started to occur, they would, ah, run off. It's like, yeah, I got this game. I had one friend who was like, he thought he was going to match me, right? And so I would just like kind of line drive it right at him. <laughs> you know, being a son, you get to take risk. And this isn't about how deserving the son was. That's not what this story's about. The story is about how loving the father is. You know, as fathers, we let our kids fail. We let our kids succeed. We let kids take risks. We let them do stupid things. It's part of being a boy, I think, right? Some of you mothers of boys here, you're like, I wish it wasn't, but it is. You know, we really need to let young men be young men, and we do some stupid things. I did a lot of stupid things. I took a lot of risks. I Still absorb it, take a lot of risk. My wife wish I wouldn't take so many, but we do. And sons can fail. Brooke, if you want to come on up. You see, it takes a man to raise a boy. In America, most boys will not be influenced by a man until they're 18 years old, they go to daycare. It's a woman. They go to preschool. It's a woman. They go to kindergarten, grade school. It's a woman. They go to middle school. It's usually a woman. They go to high school. It's a woman. And unless a kid is involved in a sport where they have a coach, most of the influences in their life will be women. It's a true fact. It takes a man to raise a boy. I believe that in the depths of my heart. So, men, it's up to us, isn't it? I'm going to challenge you. If you've ever wondered how to get involved, go see Jake. Get involved with the Rangers. That's a great place to get involved. And don't just stand around. Like, this isn't a stand-around sport, is it, Jake? It's to get involved get dirty, right? Plan the next camp out. Teach boys how to build a fire. Man, I can't tell you how much fun that was as a kid. Learn how to tie knots. Go on a survival camp out. You want to have fun? Go camping with nothing but a pocket knife. Man. Learn how to catch a fish and clean it. Kill an animal and clean it. Like, yeah. You see, because as fathers, we pick our sons up again and again and again and again. And it doesn't matter how many times they fall. Doesn't have, matter how many times they fail, we pick them up. Dust them off. Tell them to quit crying, right? Rub some dirt on it. Come on, be a man. You see, in the story, both sons were rebellious. Both sons. Not just the one who ran off, but the one who didn't understand his father's heart. He was upset that his father was celebrating the return of his son and He goes, well, Dad, you've never given me a lamb. He goes, they've been here all the whole time. You're my son. What do you mean I've withheld from you? I haven't withheld from you. You're my son. You see, it was funny growing up. My dad didn't eat many sweets. But in the house, there were these chocolate-covered peanuts. It was kind of understood that those were his, right? (laughs) They sat in the fridge. My mom would buy them for them. They'd sit in the fridge. One week, two weeks, a month, two months, the same bag of chocolate-covered peanuts sitting in the fridge. As a young boy, you'd open the refrigerator, and every time you see it, it'd just be, like, taunting you, right? Like, man, when's he going to eat these things, right? Then you're like, will he notice if I take one? (laughs) Yeah, he'll And I remember not too long ago joking with my dad about that and he looks at me and he goes, you could have had one anytime you wanted it. I never said you couldn't have one. You see, the thing is, is I think sometimes as fathers, we forget that the candy in the fridge is ours as much as it's his. I saw it this morning with some donuts, here's the fruit again. There was a father, Took his donut and he said, Here, gave it to his son. I was like, Yeah, yeah, that's what fathers do. You know, so many times a candy's sitting in the fridge, right at our fingertips, and we don't touch it, but yet we indict God because he's not generous. You see, when I was 11 years old, I started my first business. I took the lawnmower and started cutting the neighbor's yards. I remember one day I took the lawnmower to go cut somebody's yard, and I hit this stake coming out of the ground, bent the shaft on the lawnmower. I had to go home and tell my dad about it. He goes, it. we'll get it fixed. But you got to go finish cutting that grass. <laughs> He absorbed my dad. He, he took the burden of my mistake. He let me fail. But he gave me seed to succeed with. Shortly after that, I started my second business. I was selling baseball cards at the flea market. He bought my first baseball cards. I remember he would go out with me every Saturday, help me set up my baseball cards at the flea market to buy and sell and wheel and deal. I think my favorite, the favorite story my dad likes to tell on me is this, is that when I was in high school, I took this small engine repair class. Anybody take one of those? They don't, have, they don't offer them nowadays. But I took this class, I remember we like sharpened the blades on a lawnmower or something, and I come home thinking I'm like a mechanic, right? And so I take the lawnmower apart in our house (laughs) and my dad comes out and he's like why is the lawnmower apart?" I was like I couldn't figure out how to put it back together he goes well you gotta go cut the grass you better put it back together (laughs) and I remember like I had to put the thing back together and his favorite joke is that I had a lot of leftover parts I was like yeah they didn't need them anyways right they build these things with extra parts But you see, I took my dad's investment, I took my seed and I grew it. My dad had imparted a lot of things into me. A man who didn't have a dad to pour into him was a father who poured into me. He gave me seeds to go plant a garden. Now, did I plant his garden? No, I planted my garden. But he's been there the whole time. He's been there the whole time. You see, we got to let the boys be boys. It's important for us to defend normal boy behavior. Normal boy behavior. They're rambunctious. They're rowdy. They fight. They're risky. Yeah, they do stupid stuff. But aren't you glad when you do stupid stuff, your father is standing there with his arms wide open, inviting us home? I hope today has encouraged you, men. I hope today has been a great day for you. I hope you go home and have another great day with your kids. But I just want to encourage you today as fathers. This world is messed up. They're trying to take the head off the household, and that's you. But we're a strong group of warriors, aren't we? We're strong men, aren't we? The devil's not taking my house. Is he taken yours? No. No, no. Over my dead body. Over my dead body will he walk into my house and take my daughter and my wife. Both physically and spiritually. Over my dead body. Amen. Amen. Pastor John, will you come close this?
1: Church family, would you stand with us as we get ready to go home? Know that I'm keenly aware that we have a vast variety of different people here in different places in what Father's Day means. Some are evolving, some are vacant, uh, some are full, and most of us are mixed emotions today. But I wanna make an appeal and then I'm just gonna pray and dismiss us. If you are a man, just a man, a spiritual man, you can be a voice, you can be a light, a shield, a tarp, a safe place. You can do fatherly things even if you're not a father to them. I would say that if we put as much emphasis on that as we did on being like Christ, which we're supposed to do, this world is in desperate need of fatherly voices, fatherly expressions. I just got my kids out of my house. Well, instead of retire, retread open the door to your heart and your house and let's share not just Christ with the world but the fatherhood of God as well Father, we love you today and we thank you Lord for all that we've been given I'm so reminded that all the blessings I have and not one of them deserved not a one that's because of who you are You have protected, you've preserved, you absorbed my debt, all the things that Wade talked about. Give us the courage and the character to model the way you, Father. Always available, always consistent, always the same. As we go out from this house, Lord, I'm keenly aware that Christ is at the door. I believe it with every fiber of my being. I believe this age is coming to a quick close. May our lamps be burning full of oil. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. And Father, as we leave and go out from this place, keep us safe as we come back together to worship you if you should tarry next week. In your son's name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you today.